Welcome to A Better Way with Real Estate, a podcast series hosted by real estate investor, Brian O'Neill. During each episode, we'll give practical advice for individuals and families navigating the many hurdles in the home buying and selling process. There is a better way with real estate that supports the goals and needs of your family, and we're here to help. Listen along as we help families like yours, one home at a time. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of A Better Way with Real Estate. Uh, today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I've asked my sister, Kara Bantam O'Neill, to come on the show today and talk about overcoming adversity, specifically as it relates to uh, addiction. Now, while this may not be something you'll ever face during your home buying and selling process, you may be able to relate. Most of us have people in our lives or even personally who struggle with addiction or have been impacted by it. And Kara is an expert at helping individuals and families overcome this terrible disease. She is the uh, corporate alumni director at Origins Healthcare. And she's also pretty darn funny. So um, that's another reason why I have her on the show today as well. So this is going to be a great interview. I'm really looking forward to, to speaking with with my sister, and she's going to have nothing but great things to say about me, of course. Um, Kara, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. It's great to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And I yeah. mean, I'll try to be funny. I mean, I'll do my best. But uh, no pressure there, uh, yeah. by the way. But um, no, it's 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 been. You're always you, you always have you always light up the house whenever you come here. So um, you know, Will loves you, and and really cracks. We all crack up when you're around. So. Um, Let's talk a little bit, Kara, about your your story. I mean, you have a very, very powerful story. You've overcome adversity in your life, and, and now you're helping other people do the same thing. So if you could uh, share with, with, uh, with everyone, you know, a little bit about your background and, you know, how you got to where you are today. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, um, well, how I got to where I am today, I am a recovered alcoholic addict at this point in my life, which is really amazing. Um, but you know, life wasn't always that great. I, um, suffered from an illness, you know, which is addiction and alcoholism. And the thing about having a mental illness like that is that you don't really, or I didn't really understand that I had one. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of times in my life where I thought that I drank because of circumstances in my life, or I thought that I used drugs because of circumstances in my life. But really, um, at a point in my life, I crossed a line that I couldn't go back and I lost all control with drinking and using. So for that, it's like this, this problem got progressively worse over time and I didn't know it. And so there was always this hope of like, I could go back and drink the way I did when I was younger or when I could control things, but that just wasn't the case. It was progressively getting worse over the time, over time. Mm. It's a mental illness. And I didn't really know because it, unfortunately, when you have a mental problem, it's, you don't have rational thinking. Like I didn't have rational thinking um, that correlated to my addiction and my alcoholism. So it was really hard to see the truth that was right in front of my eyes was that, Hey, you're suffering from a disease, you have alcoholism and you need help. And so for many of us, like myself, that road to recovery was long just to get there. 
you know, just to get to a place where I could accept help took a, took a while. And unfortunately, the first time I ever went to treatment, you know, things were pretty decent. I mean, (laughs) you know, the first treatment I ever went to, I always say this, um, when I had visitation on the weekend, 14 people came to visit me, 14. I had 14 visitors. I think I might've broken a record. I also admitted to that treatment center and the intake lady took my picture and she said, this is the best picture we have ever seen. And I was just, I remember I turned to mom and I said, see, I don't belong here. I still look really good. So I looked good. I had friends and I thought, I don't really have that big a problem as everybody else. I'm just going to come here. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go back to my life. And I did. And, you know, in the next three years, the wheels totally fell off. Like all sorts of things happen in my life that I never would have imagined could possibly happen. Like I'm getting arrested. I'm losing jobs. My friends, those 14 people, they're like, we don't really want to hang out with you anymore when you're drinking. So, and that would be all the time. So (laughs) I didn't really have a chance to hang out with them. So I'm losing relationships. I'm getting in trouble. Um, you know, I didn't really have a lot of health problems, but you know, I hung on, I hung on to that. I was like, see, I'm okay. Cause I don't have health problems, but, um, but I had a lot of other problems going on and it was, a, it was a cycle of three years of trying to get clean and sober or trying to cut back or trying to do these things and not being successful or in my eyes being successful, you know, because I would like not use or drink for six months and I'm like, cool, I'm doing really well. And then, you know. I'd stub my toe or whatever would happen. And I would just start drinking again. You know, the sun would be out, the sun would not be out and I'd start drinking. I mean, this is just the way it was. I mean, I'd love to say that things triggered me to drink, but that just wasn't the case. It Mm. just not at the end. It just wasn't like that. So eventually I did make it into treatment. It's a treatment center that I work at. And, you know, they taught me about the disease. For some reason, I was like willing to listen, which was very strange because I didn't really listen to anybody at that time of my life. And, you know, I came to understand that one of the reasons I'm not paying attention or I'm not listening is because I have a mental problem, you know? And it's like the day that they told me that I, I just was like, you, what? No, I don't. I was, I do these things cause I want to. And no, I didn't. I mean, because when you think about it, why would I want to drink a substance that, you know, I might end up in jail later on tonight. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to drink when everyone in my life says, I don't want to hang out with you if you're drinking? Why would I continue to do that? That doesn't make any sense, you know? And so I started to think, well, maybe I do have some kind of problem because Kara, like my spirit, I didn't, I don't want to ruin my life. I don't want to like die on the streets from addiction. I didn't want that to happen, but it was happening. And so, like I said, eventually I started to realize, okay, this is my, I actually have a problem and I need a solution. And when I finally started getting into this solution mode, which I feel some kind of grace was given to me that I had the moment, a long moment of clarity where I could actually work on myself and I could take time away from my life to go to treatment. Um, When I started to work on myself, I started to see this very clearly. I started to see the true from the false very clearly. And, um, you know, the solution for me was to, you know, start being present in my life um, and to start helping other people. And that's just how it kind of worked for me. You know, I started to realize um, through the help of other people that there's 
power greater than Kara. You know, there's a power greater than me and my ego and my mind. And that um, if I tap into that power and that source, whatever it may be for you, for me, it's just like an energy of like love and things like that. And when I tap into something like that, then I can be a part of life and contribute to life because I wasn't contributing to life at all. I was taking to life, you know, addiction and alcoholism is a very selfish illness, unfortunately. Um, Mm. It's very involved in self. And I can tell you being involved in self all day long is pretty awful. You know, being involved in your resentments a hundred percent of the day or your self pity a hundred percent of the day is very awful. And so that's why it's such a self-destructive illness. And that's why you watch people self-destruct because they're constantly absorbed in their own pity and demise. It's pretty awful. Like I said, it's pretty awful. So I was happy to like be released of those chains and like kind of have some freedom in my life um, because it, it is, it traps you and keeps you down. So, you know, there's a lot to my story that I won't get into. I mean, unless you ask me, but, you know, but that's like the gist of it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's right. And, where I came from. And how long have you been, have you been sober now, Tara? Yeah, I mean, it's been 16 years, which is, I mean, it's insane because when I think about 16 years, I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't want to be sober at all. Like there was this country music song back in the nineties. And I don't know if anyone has heard it, but it, it used to say something like I've been sober for 17 days. And I was like, why would anyone want to do that? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> why would anybody want to be sober for 17 days in a row? You know? And that's the thing that I came to learn about myself is that, you know, I have a natural state of being really irritable and discontent. And so like that natural state as an addict brought me to a substance to help me with that. And so that's why drinking worked at the beginning, but then it stopped working. And so if you've ever noticed with alcoholics and addicts, if you remove the substance, they're kind of irritable (laughs) and discontent. And that's why we, that's why most of us go towards the solution of a power that's greater than ourselves and helping other people because it fills the void and the, the malady of sorts. Never heard it explained that way. That's I've learned a lot just by listening to you talk here for the last 10 minutes or so. And one of them was, you said you had a mental problem. Yeah. Yeah. Now all kidding aside, I've always thought you had a mental problem, especially when you were growing up. Right. Right. Cause you were a little, you were a little loopy as Mm -hmm. a kid, but no, I mean, yeah. I had to, and irritable. I had, I'm, I had, I'm sure you noticed my irritability also. You know, I, I, I maybe, but <laughs> you said it's a mental disease. Like you had a yeah. mental disease, and I've never mm-hmm. heard it described. I've never heard it described that way. It was, and, and you're, you're not even saying it was a problem. Like you have this mental disorder. I mean, can you maybe kind of peel that back a little bit further? Like, what, what do you mean when you say that? Yeah, I mean, so if you're going to get clinical, it, there's a book, the DSM five. Right. And, and mm-hmm. so any clinician who's somebody who wants to be a clinician has that book in their on their bookshelf. And it's just like a diagnostic manual of mental health disorders. And so in the in this book is is pretty much every mental health disorder that the American Psychiatric Association 
deems a mental disorder. And, you know, so it'll have depression and anxiety and, and schizophrenia and all of these things will be in there, bipolar. And also there's a whole section on substance abuse disorders. So I remember the first time, so I was going back to school and, you know, I was going through this because I am a clinician by trade. So I was going through this material and there it is in black and white, it says substance use disorder. And I read the criteria and I say, oh my, (laughs) here it is. I'm in this book for mental illnesses. I'm in this book. Now at this point, I was already what the book would say in remission, because if you have one year without this criteria, then you're in remission, which is cool. Um, But when I looked at this 11 these 11 criteria, I was like, yeah, this is like a Friday night for me. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, yeah, I, this is easy. Right. And so it, it really opened up my eyes to say, oh, wow. You know, this isn't just, um, you know, a, a program like there's, there's um, fellowship programs and support programs that you can go to. I mean, this is in this book. Like, this is like right here in this mental health book, you know what I mean? So yeah. It's a, and so there's a mental problem. If I could try to explain it easily with addiction, right? It's just everyone kind of gets like the body part of an addict. You know what I mean? Like if you drink one drink, you're probably going to drink 10 drinks. Like most people understand that. Like once you put the substance in you, you crave more of the substance. That's the body portion. But the mental health portion is that part that I was talking about that told me, Hey, go out and drink tonight. It won't be that bad. You won't do A, B, and C. You won't get in trouble. That's the portion of that like delusion kind of stuff that, you know, kept me out there drinking. Like, hey, you only drink because you want to. Like that little story that's in my mind, that's part of the mental health or the Mm -hmm. mental disorder portion, the obsession, as they would call it. The mental. And you truly believe that nothing was going to happen to you, right? And or is that or or am I tracking with you correctly? Or I mean, sometimes I believe nothing would happen, but other times mm. I, you know, I convinced myself that I really didn't care, mm. or mm. I would get away with it, or you know, whatever story you tell yourself, like nobody really cares about me anyways. So who cares? Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you'll hear that a lot in addiction. Like nobody really, like no one loves me, or whatever. Whatever the story I'm telling you, and they're like. Uh, what's your name? Benet Brown talks about that quite a bit, like the story we tell ourselves. And so, you know, you can get, when you have an obsession, you get fixated on the story, you know? And for like, uh, my story always told me I would get away with it. You're getting, no one's going to know. No one's going to know. And so I would like work with that, you know? And so, but it's not always the same for everybody, whatever, whatever it tells you, you know what I mean? So and that's, I appreciate you explaining that because, you know, again, I learned something new every time I talk to you about, about this. Um, there's not something wrong with you. Like, you're not a bad person, right? You have, and neither are other addicts. I mean, well, maybe, maybe some people are bad. I'm just saying, but you, that's not the issue, right? It's this, it's this disease. It's this mental disorder, as you, as you say, and the, and the way that you're talking to yourself and convincing yourself, that's what needs to be addressed. Yeah. I mean, and here I'm, I will validate because there is definitely a moral deterioration that occurs Mm -hmm. as the disease progresses. Like as the disease gets worse and worse, like, you know, you just come out of character. Most people do, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, 
Um, so I validate that for anyone who's living with an addict or knows addicts and they start, you know, stealing your stuff and that, yes, that happens. We're not bad people. We, we do bad things sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, because of this disease is the, the addiction is driving us to do things. I mean, yeah. of course, you know, there are some people, like you said, who are just, you know, need, you know, <laughs> need something, need something different, but a lot of us are just kind of looking to get back to the person that we once were. Um, and when I tried to get back to the person that I once was, I mean, it wasn't like teenage Kara or young Kara, it, it, young adult Kara. It was like innocent child Kara, you know, like real true spirit is where I was trying to get back to, you know, because that's like something that I could connect with that was um, more on a divine level of things, hmm. you know, if, if I could explain like, before life happened to me, before life happened to my spirit, I could go back to that. And a lot of clinicians will use that like, Hey, you remember this little four-year-old, you know, cause most of us were pretty innocent and pretty fun back then. Uh, you know, it's amazing how much stuff gets tied back to your childhood and you don't really yeah. take the time to think about it. You know, yeah. I remember the first time I went to, and this, again, this is not about me. The first time I went to a counselor, they started asking me about, I'm like, I'm like, what? Why? I don't, first of all, I don't remember. But then you start to peel it back and you realize how much, how, how much is connected, right? So 16 years is amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always super proud when I hear that. And I, I mean, to do to not do anything for 16 years is amazing. Like if I think about, I'm like I, I gave up chocolate for the month of January. I thought I was gonna go crazy, right? Especially with yeah. mom here, you know, she's making brownies every two days. But you know, to do that for 16 years is just uh, tremendous. Does it get? I, I would assume, and again, I'm just making an assumption here. I, I would assume it gets easier with each passing year, or is it? Is it? Is it just? Is it not? Is it different? I mean, can you can you maybe talk about that? I mean, how do you? How do you continue to to maintain? Oh, it def. I mean, I will tell you, it definitely gets easier, and that's why a lot of us will introduce ourselves as recovered alcoholics because, like, what I said earlier about mm-hmm. like it, if I was being clinically diagnosed, I'd be in remission, and I only need to be sober for a year for that, and not have the criteria. But um, because it does get easier, and I'll tell you, listen, sometimes I'm watching the Super Bowl, like this Sunday. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. I want two Budweiser's. I want three Budweiser's too, just like everybody else. Well, not everybody, just like I would think most people want. But, you know, what happens now that I've been doing the work that I needed to do all these years mm. is that I have a rational thought process, you know? So when I say, I'd like a Bud too, my mind then says, uh, you had enough Budweiser. No, that's not going to go well. You know what I mean? So the rational thought process is nice. But yeah, no, it's, let me tell you, when I first got clean and sober, it was, I thought it was weird. I I really did think I was like living in some kind of weird twilight zone where I don't drink or use drugs. I mean, I had to check the cough syrup, you know, I can't even have NyQuil. That's got a lot of alcohol in it just for everybody. Just every, so like the cold syrup aisle, you know, you got to check that out. Some of that stuff is not good for alcoholics and addicts, you know? And so, but it, I thought it was weird, you know, and that I was weird. But the funny thing is that most people, like as I got, as I was living my life, they don't care. They don't care what I do, which was shocking to me. I thought everyone cared about me, you know, but that's what happens when you think that you're the center of the universe. But most people, they don't care. 
Like I went to a wedding two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared what I was doing. They didn't care what I was drinking. They don't, you know, they had a nice yeah. coffee bar there. So I was like, I'll have some coffee, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but it just, yeah, it becomes, it's become a habit. It's just like, it's like other things in life that, you know, maybe someone's become a vegan by choice or a vegetarian by choice. It's just that, you know, normally a lot of us who are alcoholics and addicts, we don't normally become by choice. Like, you know what I mean? Like we need to be separated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what you said about nobody, you know, n- nobody cares because I, I I remember this, you taught, you taught this to me and you said it in, you know, your Kara joking way. And you kind of yelled, like, nobody cares about you, you know? And <laughs> And you didn't mean it, you know, like negatively. It was just what you had just said, which is like, we think that everybody is watching us and caring and judging. And it's like, no, they're thinking about themselves. They're wrapped up in their own stuff, right? Totally. Totally. I tell people all the time, you know, like that are going to do like, you know, a presentation or tell their story somewhere. I'm like, really? Five or six of them are going to be paying attention to you. Don't worry about the other 25. They're probably thinking about what they're going to have for dinner. I mean, so, you know, or whatever, whatever is happening, but I think too, you know, I mean, that happened to me. I've, I've learned that very early on in my recovery, I had a person who was mentoring me and I was going to her and I was, had to read some really, you know, some really deep stuff to her. And she had me do that in public. And I, we were in a Starbucks. I walked in, I looked at her and I said, I looked at her, I didn't say anything. She, and she looked at me and she was like, nobody cares what you have to say. And I was like, what? (laughs) I mean, how is that possible? And, and what I was about to read was almost like a confession. It's something that we do in recovery. And it's quite like a confession, you know, of like all of the things that I've done in my life. And I was like, well, they should, because I can tell you, this is going to be way more interesting than anything they're talking about. You know what I mean? So I basically did like a confession at Starbucks you know, with like people sitting right next to me, but you know, she was just like, get out of yourself. They're not listening to you. They're having, they're having coffee with their friends, you know? So I'm like, all right. So that's where that started really early on where I'm just like, yeah, nobody really probably cares about what I'm wearing. You know what I mean? Sometimes you walk and you're like, oh, I have a stain on my shirt. No one's looking at that, you know, but we were raised by mom who was like, you're going to leave the house with those wrinkles. This is true. And now I, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. So um, thanks mom. But yeah. you know, it's important not to have wrinkles, just, just yeah. saying, or stains on your <laughs> shirt, but, but we're like, no, nobody's looking. Um, this is funny. So you go, you have a few attempts at this too, right. You know, to get, to get to where you are right now, which again, is all about adversity. Like this is kind of the, the path. It's not always easy. You know, it's not, you're not going to, you're not going to win your first time out. You're going to have some setbacks and some losses. When did things start to really kind of turn for you? Was there like a defining moment where it started to make sense or was there, or or was there, or was there something, you know, or someone maybe that, that really helped you turn the corner? Yeah. I mean, for sure. There were definitely moments. I think, you know, it, it comes to this point and it came to this point for me with my addiction is that I got to the point of almost totally giving up. And when I say totally giving up, I mean like totally giving up on the world and life. Like it took me so far down to like total like black hole. And so 
you know, I started to dig myself out of that with the help of other people, but like, I barely was hanging on to hope. But what I always tell people, if you have a little bit of hope and you're still breathing, like you can still change and you can still, you know, things can still be really great, you know? But like, yeah, I was like to a point of like total hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And so it took some time for me to get out of that. And I needed to give myself that time. And I was lucky to have time. I mean, I went to treatment for 60 days. It wasn't like I went to treatment for a week or I went and I just detoxed at a hospital and came home to my life. I was gone for 60 days. And, you know, I mean, I remember I was in this group and it was a group on spirituality and I did not believe in anything spiritual. I could barely even tell you a spiritual word. You know what I mean? And so spirituality, when they were telling me that that would be the solution to my problem, I was like, you've got to be kidding. And so we had a chaplain, I mean, a chaplain that I had to talk to you on a regular basis. I was like, you've got to be joking. But anyway, so this woman was running group and she's like, have you guys heard the story of the good wolf and the bad wolf? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, every person has, it's like an old tale or whatever. Every person has a good wolf and a bad wolf. Okay. And the wolf that survives is the one you feed. Right. And so I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. You know, you feed your good wolf and it'll survive. She says, Kara, how do you feed your, what do you do to feed your good wolf? And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I was like three weeks in treatment. So I'm like three weeks sober, 21 days. Seems like a long time, but it's not. I had no answer. Meanwhile, I'm going to group all day. I have a full schedule. I've been doing this day in and day out for 21 days. I said, and I looked at her and I said, I think that my bad wolf ate my good wolf. <laughs> and of course, like the whole whole room laughs and she just stares me down. Like, you've got to be kidding. Anyway, so the next girl goes, oh, well, you know, I wake up and I pray and then I go for a jog and then I do this and this and that. And I'm like, oh, I knew all those answers. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like in that moment was one of those times where I was like, oh my gosh, like my bad wolf is like my addiction and my good wolf is me. Like I'm actually in there, you know? And that like just gave me hope that if I did those things, like if I did my prayer meditation and I went to my recovery meetings and I did all these things that I was supposed to do, that that voice would get louder and louder and louder and that I would actually grow. And so that like changed everything for me because I just knew like I had to make that addict voice small and I needed to make my voice, like the true spirit of myself large. And so that really changed a lot for about feeding my good wolf and getting into a discipline and a routine. Yeah. And then your, your good wolf ate your bad wolf. Yeah. My good wolf pretty much has eaten my bad wolf. I mean, every, I mean, every once in a while, the bad wolf lives, but, the good thing is that the most of the time, the bad wolf is just in my head and I don't act out on it anymore. Hmm. You know, I mean, that was one of the first steps with addiction was like, hey, like change your actions. You know what I mean? And so I started, when I started to think rationally and I started to feel rationally, I started to act rationally or vice versa. I started to like just do service and I felt better about myself. You know what I mean? So those three things kind of like come together. But yeah, luckily for me, I don't do a lot of negative action because I have to like make amends when I do that. I don't yeah. want to do that. Who wants to do that? Right? Nobody. No. <laughs> it's <laughs> difficult, but you do have to do it, right? So by yeah. the way, when you were telling the good wolf, when you were telling the story to the to the chaplain or whatever the name was of the person, mm-hmm. I can like I could totally see that. 
I can totally yeah. see you doing that, you know, in, in yeah. the way, in the way that you said it. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 That was probably, you, you probably gave the clean version of your response too. So um, what was the, what do you really love about, cause you know, your service, you're giving back, you're helping people, right? Like what is, what do you really love about that? What feels, what feels really good about that? Cause I, cause I know it's a big part of your daily life. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you watching the light come back on in someone's eyes. I mean, that's just the beginning, but that's, I mean, what happens where, where I work is people are in crisis. Mm. You know, when people go into a treatment center and this is pretty generic across the board, when people go into a detox or a treatment center, they're in crisis. You know what I talked about, like being hopeless, self-destructive, all those things, massive crisis, crisis. And so like their eyes are pretty dead. You know, just like the light is not on, you know what I mean? And so, but eventually they start to come out of that. And like, after they're there a couple of weeks, like they're like, Hey, Kara, you know what I mean? And you watch their spirit come back to life. But I think the coolest thing is like watching people like get a year clean and sober and like watching their like husband or their kid give them their medallion or something like that. And they pick up a year sober and they are like so emotional. I mean, and they've just changed their life. And then like, I've had experiences where like people that I've helped have then like helped other people and like just this whole chain of strong women in the community that are just helping people. And it all started like with me and the one person like that feels really cool to see that, um, you know, ripple effect because the ripple effect can happen in addiction negatively and it happens all the time. So to watch the ripple effect with recovery happen is really cool. Yeah. And it's really cool to hear you talk about it and to watch because you had someone like you help you or multiple people. And now you're you and you're, you're, you're doing that to a bunch of other people, which is just, uh, tremendous. So you may have not been asked this before I'm going to ask you, but you know, do you have like a, maybe throughout this entire journey, like a proudest moment or two that sticks out in your mind or, 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 or maybe like breakthroughs that, that you're really, that you're really, or milestones that you're super proud of? Yeah. I mean, in recovery, they're, they're, I mean, it's been such a cool journey Mm -hmm. to, to be in recovery. And so, um, but I think, recently one of the things that i happened that happened for me because i i actually passed my uh my my test for my license and only like 5% of people passed it on the first try which someone said to me like right before i went in to take the test which i thought i was going to die but i think for me it's i was i've never been a good test taker in my life you know and so for me to be able to go in there and like positive self-talk myself, like take the test and do something really hard and like pass. I thought that was just like one of the best things that's happened in my life. And that just happened. Like that was one of my biggest achievements because I honestly told myself for a decade that I could not pass that test. And that's why I didn't go to get my license. And so I had other people tell me like, Kara, you're doing it. Whether you like it or not, you're doing it. You're going to apply for your license. And so these people helped and they pushed me in that direction. And, you know, one foot in front of the other and I'm going to have my license. I just have to do this like little course and I'll have it probably in like a month or so, which is a really huge achievement for me um, personally. But, you know, that milestone was really cool. I think for me though, honestly, to tell you like 
the coolest stuff that's happened in my life has all been spiritual. You know what I mean? Like it's all, you know, I'll tell you a cool story. Like I'm going to tell you a story that I tell my patients all the time, just to let you know. And it's about you. So I always tell my, so basically this is what happened in treatment. And I probably never told you the story, but this is a cool moment. So I, you know, when I was in treatment, we weren't really talking, right? Okay. Obviously I told everybody that by the time I went to my last treatment, nobody really wanted to talk to me. I just had mom and dad there and they were divorced and they came to visit. And it was (laughs) really a wild experience, which I don't wish on anyone. Two divorced parents coming together to visit their alcoholic daughter in treatment. Skip it. Anyways, so I, they, my therapist was like, you need to write angry letters to the people you're angry at and burn it in the burning bowl and give it to the universe and let it go, right? Okay, I'm into it. She's like, write one for your brother, write one for your dad, blah, 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 right? So I write one for you. We're at, it's a Monday night. We're at the burning bowl. All the girls are out there. I read it and I burn it and I said, it's gone. I'm letting it go. Right. And so the next day I come in to get the mail and there was a letter from you. And in the letter you had written, like, why don't we just kind of like let everything go and be friends the way we were when we were kids. And I mean, that moment I I've been like, I don't think I could ever say like there was no power greater than myself or there was no, no force of the universe. Like I, like I couldn't say it anymore. The coincidence was too grand. You know what I mean? And so I share that story a lot because it's like one of those moments that like changed my perception on what a coincidence is or what like a spiritual moment would be. And so I share that a lot. I only know that that story helps people all the time. So, and you're part of that. So just wanted to share that with you. Well, you just made my day and I yeah. never, I never heard that story. And yeah, yeah I hundred percent agree with you because I, like you was not, I mean, spiritual, what are, what are you talking about? Right. You know? And I'm, I'm the complete opposite now. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's really awesome. I, I don't even know what to say. I, that's, that's yeah. uh yeah. And that was so long ago. And I, yeah, I love that, that. 16 years ago. You can't deny. And then that thing is like, no, you can deny it. Anyone can deny anything. I'll give that when you're talking about spirituality. But I couldn't deny that because the timing was perfect. Thank you, higher power or whatever. (laughs) Like I didn't have a moment to think. And when I opened it up and it was just the writing and it was so similar to the things that I had already, because, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you write an angry letter, by the time you get to the bottom, you've let out a lot of the anger and you're kind of in solution. And so I was saying the same things. I was like, yeah, let's just, you know, we can start over. We can, you know, I was saying all that when I let it go. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was very connected. So back to the question is anything that I really, that's happened to me in my life has always happened in that spiritual realm. And so the big things in my life that have happened is like more and more, I'm able to trust in something greater than myself. And so like the outcomes of my life are not necessarily up to me. Like I just do the work and then what happens happens. And it's like very freeing, you know what I mean? But Mm. it took me a long, long time on the journey to get there. You know, like I wanted to control my personal relationships. I wanted to control specifically my intimate relationships my whole life. And I would not give them up to my, my higher power. And you can see now in my marriage that I obviously did because it's like perfect, but I had to do, I had to let go. I had to say yes 
I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this to you universe. And I, I know whatever you give back to me is going to be amazing. And when I did that, I got it. Amazing. And you did. You yeah. did and, and you got it for sure. So I love it. I love it. It's, um, I know, I know it's just, it, it's, um, and I think a lot of people struggle, struggle with that, you know, like giving up, like surrendering. I think you use that word a lot, surrender, yeah. right? You have to surrender. Mm-hmm. Kara, this, we're going to wrap up here, uh, in, but before we do, uh, this has been tremendous again, just, you know, dropping a lot of knowledge is important. I mean, my, uh, my goal is always, if, if one person hears it and it makes a difference or it makes any kind of an impact, then it's worth doing this, right? Is there anything else that I didn't ask you or that you wanted to, to share with everyone before we, before we let you go, uh, do your thing? I know it's uh, close to dinner time where you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I know that you do you're, you work with a real estate and all those things. And I hope that anything that I've said can kind of correlate to that too. It's just like, I know like that's a, there's a lot of like disappointment sometimes with when you're trying to get a home or things don't work out, but you know, just adversity, like just keep trying, you know what I mean? Like I just keep, you know, I always talk about when I'm a clinician, feel the feelings, validate the feelings, and then let's get into the solution. You know what I mean? But I always try to give myself time to like feel something, share something with somebody else and then move forward because I don't like to stuff my feelings anymore. Right. Because that all comes out sideways. That's my pro tip. Don't stuff any of your feelings because they'll come out the wrong direction at the wrong person. But um, if anyone out there knows anybody who needs help or have any questions for me, like I'm totally open to, you know, Check out my, you can just email me. It's my personal email. It's my name. It's Kara, C-A-R-A-U-F for the University of Florida, 07 at yahoo.com. And it's at yahoo.com because I'm old. That's why. So I still use my old email, but Mm -hmm. that's what it is. If anybody has anything, any questions or anything like that, please feel free or need any help. Um, Hopefully I can point you in the right direction. That's great. At least you don't have an AOL email. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, like an SBC Global. Uh, I have a Yahoo one, so there's nothing to be yeah. upset about. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with the UF thing, but for, for the listeners to understand, I went to the Florida State University, the, the direct rival of the University of Florida, and you and I have gone into it over the years. And oh, yeah. That doesn't happen any, anymore. I actually, right. root, I actually root for the Gators. So, you know, because I, I want you to be happy. Thank you. I appreciate I can't believe that. that I'm saying publicly. Now I've said it publicly. Like I want, yeah. I want the Gators to win. Not when yeah. they play Florida State, but you know, in general. I'm going to continually share that. And I want to know, how, like, let everyone know how much more involved you are than I am because I don't root for Florida State. <laughs> so, I mean, but I do, <laughs> but I do sometimes root for the Cowboys because I know that you're obsessed with them more, even more than Florida State. So. This is true. This yeah. is true. Well, right. I, I appreciate the good juju. I will put the email in, in the show notes and, you know, just thanks for sharing your, your story. And again, super powerful, super impactful. You're giving back, you're making the world a better place. And I always say that's the greatest work. And, you know, I'm super proud of what you've done in your life more than you'll ever know. So thanks Thank so you. much for being on. All right. I appreciate that. And I'm happy to be here. And I'm happy that um, we have such a much better relationship than we did when I went to treatment. Thank goodness for that burn letter, right? Right. (laughs) The angry letter, the burning bowl. Hey, people, try it. It's another pro tip. Don't start a fire. Get the actual bowl 
and yeah, let but it we do. we don't want to promote fires here, so we no. gotta be we gotta be careful with that. Be very careful with that. I'm sure they all have that in where you live, fireplaces and such. I we don't yeah, have that. Yeah, they do it out in the backyard. So all right, yeah. we we could continue this all 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 yeah. night here. All right, everyone have everyone have a great uh, a great night. All right, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of A Better Way with Real Estate Podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you left us a rating and review so we can continue to help you and others navigate the many hurdles of the home buying and selling process. Visit bkwpropertysolutions.com to learn more. And remember, there is a better way with real estate.